1: I am not Juliet
0: and I'm not Theo and this is apologies Apologies accepted accepted. the podcast
1: I'm always so surprised when we do it in unison and I shouldn't be because we're so in sync
0: one day you'll get bored of it we need to do this different I'm bored um so how are you? How's everything going? It's been quite the week since we last got together.
1: It has been quite a week. And all I can say is America is back. Hello, Biden. All hail Amanda oh, Gorman. God. Poetry is now yeah. in vogue. And what a fucking world.
0: I'm so relieved. I am I was, as I was telling you earlier earlier, um, the, uh, I keep waiting for there to be some sort of law that no one's discovered before that says that Trump has to be president forever and he's going to come back or something. I'm just... I. I- I'm just waiting for the other shoe to drive, which is strange, but but, um, I'm really, really glad that Biden is president now and that he's started off pretty well with the things that he has done um, early, very early in his administration. He started off his very first day making some laws, passing some things, um, getting some stuff done, not really making laws because you can't do that on your own, but... Um so and and I imagine he's going to continue to to do that and work with all the people that are probably knocking down his door trying to get everything that Trump did uh overturned. So good luck, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris I'm very happy to have Kamala as vice president. Um, we know her from San Francisco and California, so uh I think uh, she's going to do good things for the country and happy to have a woman vice president of course, and a woman of color, no less. So all in all it sounds great on paper. I'm hoping that it turns out as good as it sounds.
1: <laughs> it sounds great on paper. It looked great on television. Um, it was great on
0: television. Those clothes they were wearing for the
1: inauguration oh were fantastic. God, I'm everyone looked gush. perfect. Yes. Just beautiful. De- Michelle Obama, thank you. So thank, you hot. thank you. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you. All all I guess. I don't know say. who
0: made her clothes, but they're just fantastic. And they're probably like J Crew or something cuz she doesn't really spend You know, as much money on clothes as someone like a Trump would.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Um, But she manages to look better than any of them ever, ever have.
1: And there is just so much to be grateful for, thankful for uh, in America. And I know that the rest of the world watches what happens here. Um, And there is an impact on the world. Uh, American politics, I should say, has an impact on the world um a little bit a little bit yeah and so and that's the thing it's like kids are you going to welcome us back onto the playground i mean we've joined the paris accord paris accord the paris climate treaty uh we're back in the who or at least we say we want to come back and i think
0: they'll be glad we're back i think that it's just been a a national nightmare for four years and a a world nightmare for four years with the u.s just being this crazy rogue state basically and i think they'll be glad that we're back in, in the fold so to speak
1: I'm going to hope so, um, especially yeah. because we've picked up listeners in Australia and Germany uh, and Taiwan. and Taiwan. Yes.
0: Hooray. Uh, Welcome, guys. We're glad to have you. Yeah,
1: our little show. Guys and
0: gals. I log in yeah. daily and
1: look at the numbers to see what's happening and, and what's going on. And with zero real average, Shout no out to Ohio. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and Delaware. Delaware. Jesus. Uh-huh.
0: Isn't that amazing?
1: Beyond amazing,
0: um,
1: <laughs> and then uh, our UK listeners—I'm pretty sure—are just my family. But that's great, um, though.
0: We're happy to have them. Hello.
1: But there seem to be a few more listeners than I have uh, relatives. <laughs> and you have so, family? Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, we want all of them, though, to call in or call in, to, to <laughs> email <not call>. us.
1: <laughs> this is a podcast. There is no You can phone. try to
0: call. <laughs> you won't be able to. To um, email us and, and tell us about apologies you've received or apologies you've given or want to receive or give. That you haven't, that are interesting to you. Um, we want to hear about it. Yeah. We are uh, fascinated by folks' apologies. We love to read your apologies, and we'll uh, read some of the more interesting ones online.
1: Yeah, online, definitely. On the air. Even just what you think, uh, what is an apology? What what does it mean to apologize? You don't even have to have a specific one that you want to make. Um, we will take anything that's apology-related, which kind of brings us to today's show. Yeah.
0: Yeah, so... Um, We wanted to start today's show by talking about New York in the 70s, I believe, since that's when a lot of this takes place or starts out. Um, New York in the 70s is a very different place than New York today, um, as I suppose New York in the 40s is probably very different from New York in the 70s. But Theo, you had some some points to
1: make. Yeah, so today we're looking at uh, at an artist named Alan Bridge, who uh, did something that was Uh, rather unique, particularly for the time. And so the show is going to be a little self-indulgent, but then kind of every show is. Uh, New York in the 70s and 80s was a very rough place. And uh, let's see, just to kind of uh, begin, I'd like to look at some of the uh, crime statistics in New York. And and there is a reason that I'm starting off with crime in New York, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and we will get to Alan Bridge and what's his connection between him and mm-hmm. New York and crime. So um, looking at 1979, there were more than 250 felonies each week in the subway system. Wow. Subway Do we system alone. how many alone. there are today? Pardon?
0: Do we know how many there are today?
1: Much less much okay. less, yeah. No, I, I didn't. Okay. I didn't look at uh, today because uh, basically New York is a vastly different city. It's 180 yeah. degrees from what it was in the 70s and 80s. So uh, in '79, 250 felonies each week. Uh, for our international listeners, because all of a sudden I'm obsessed with you. A felony in in America is any crime that's over 500 bucks, uh, and a misdemeanor is um, you know a crime you might get a jail time for, or fine, but uh, a felony is bad. A felony follows you around for, I think, maybe the rest of your life. I I don't know if they can be expunged. Um, Okay, so cool. So a lot of naughty stuff, naughty, a lot of really uh, bad stuff happening just in the subway system alone. Forget walking along the streets. Uh, In 1982, the police force was down to 22,000 officers for 7 million people. That was down from 34,000 officers in 1975. So, artists moved to New York City because you could live there cheaply, and a lot of artists were there. Of course, there were also a lot of people with money living in New York as well, so it was really um, a stark divide between the haves and the have-nots. If you had money, you lived in a very protected bubble. And you just floated from your penthouse apartment down to your car. You didn't have to worry about the 250 felonies being committed in the subway each week. You didn't have to worry about being mugged on the street. Um... You you were fine, and
0: imagine that. Imagine living cheaply in New York, and imagine all that crime. See, when we were there, yes, right. This is where it gets we self indulgent. It it doesn't seem like it was that bad. And it, looking back on it, I remember the graffiti and the trains, and I remember um, it, it definitely had a little bit of grit to it. But and and Times Square was certainly kind of rough. Times um, Square, was but bad. I don't remember being afraid at all. Well,
1: we were 19 years old, so... uh,
0: I don't think we were that old.
1: Maybe not. In high
0: school. Maybe not. I think we were like 16.
1: Uh, Older than that, but yeah. um, I don't know what what year that was. Um, Maybe
0: we had to... I don't remember if we were old enough to fly. I don't know if there were rules around that or not.
1: Well, I mean, we did it, but I mean, this is what I remember. Uh, We... Got on the airplane. We paid on for the tickets on the airplane. We got off yeah. in Newark and then took yeah. a bus to Port Authority, got off at Port yeah. Authority. And the whole time I was like holding my breath waiting for something terrible to happen because all I'd ever heard <laughs> was like, you, you know, you will be murdered in New York. Oh, my and God. We got out into the street and there was a guy who came up to me and opened his coat. Yeah, trench coat and was like yeah, pot marijuana. Do you want some coke? Right? I really? Mean, yeah. Oh yeah. For I don't sure. remember
0: that. I wow. totally remember
1: that. It was it was not even a five second interaction.
0: Amazing. Right.
1: And this was the middle of the fucking morning. I um, wish New York was still like that. And we got straight into a taxi, and I think I said something like, no, thank you. Um, <laughs> no, thank you, sir. No, yeah, no, thank you, sir. Um,
0: <laughs> and
1: uh, yeah, and then, you know, and then we walked around the city, and, and nothing bad happened to us, and we had a fantastic day, and we, and we were the very best lucky. Day. And that was probably, I don't know, I mean, it was after 1985, but well before I we moved to LA. So somewhere in 85, 86. Um, Maybe, maybe. No,
0: it was. We were in high school, right?
1: I was in high school, and you were a freshman at college.
0: Was I? I thought I was in high school too. So that would have been eighty, eighty, eighty-five.
1: Probably eighty-five. Okay. Probably eighty-five. Okay. So at at the height when it was bad. Now that we have figured that out, we can say goodbye, everybody. Thank you for listening to our show. <laughs>
0: <laughs> this is the Juliet and Theo memory Yes, uh, extravaganza. We'll walk you through the moments of our lives. <laughs> That'll be our spinoff <laughs> podcast.
1: Um, okay, so back to New York. So uh, we were there in 85 and uh, it was great, but it was great because it was gritty. and was very different from the world that we lived in in uh, North Carolina. So artists moved to New York because you could live there cheaply and you could get Um, a lot of space, you know, a lot of loft space. But um, also you had access and and ready access to people with a lot of money who were willing to support your endeavors, right? Right. And so that just creates this perfect factory of you get a lot of artists together, you get a lot of people being competitive with each other creatively. Hello, in uh, the New York Times on February 25th, 1981... Had a headline that declared that 1980 was the worst year of crime in New York City's history. Cops did not respond to respond respond to gunfire complaints unless someone had been hit. So mm. it's real fucking bad. Um, wow! So bad, so that a group of private citizens in uh, 1979 got together. And um, under the leadership of a guy named Curtis Slewa, who was a 24-year-old uh, uh-huh, high school I dropout, formed something called the Magnificent 13, which was a volunteer patrol that rode the subway at night. And they picked the lines that were most prone to crime. Um, and then they... They had so many people within the community that were so fed up with all the crime. Uh, They just joined this volunteer service, and the Magnificent 13 became the Guardian Angels. And so these were the people that ran around with berets and, uh, I think, T-shirts that said Guardian Angels. And their job was basically just to ensure that nobody was hassled on the subway. Um, This was in a year that the murder rate was... uh, 1800 people murdered.
0: Wow. In
1: the course of a single year. Um, so let's see. Flash forward to 2021 and Curtis Sleewa, who was born on my birthday, March 26th. Happy
0: birthday.
1: Thank you. Um, <laughs> is running for mayor of New York City now. He is. As a Republican. Um, As a Republican As a Republican, yes Uh, He's running against Andrew Yang Well, I mean, this is an official I don't know who's who's, yeah, If they're in the primary stages How the mayoral thing in in New York works I don't know We're looking at a city that selected um, Rudy Giuliani Bloomberg Uh, uh, The other guy So they uh, don't seem to have a lot of great luck picking mayors Um, uh, Although I'll say this Giuliani gets a lot of credit for having cleaned up New York City Uh, And he certainly turned Times Square around because Times Square used to be, if you wanted sex, you just went to Times Square, right? Well, but now where do you go for sex? I don't think you have to go on an app and then you have to pay somebody. No, not pay them. You would have to buy them a drink. Um, (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> There's so much about the grown-up world I don't know anything about.
0: <laughs> Times uh, have changed. I know how nothing. I like, it, I like the old days better when you just went down to Times Square and picked some seamy-looking dude. <laughs> you just walked street. into a
1: store and you paid for some sex, <laughs> and then you walked out. That's all you did. You went, but I mean, there were It, it was definitely a very grimy, dirty. It was nothing to find a condom in the street. In, in Times oh, Square yeah. no I mean, that, no, you no. were lucky Or in, anywhere in New York Well, really. maybe. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> Well,
0: I mean Here ta- but here today But we won't talk about San Francisco Because it's San Francisco I love very much It's got its pluses and minuses Someday we'll, we'll do an apology to San Francisco <laughs> Okay, cool Can't wait San
1: Francisco's never done anything bad Except for the uh, The Alien Exclusion Act And that line about not selling homes to Chinese people that you had in your... Right, right. Uh, That's the only bad thing San Francisco's ever done. I Um, wish that were true. So you have a lot of artists flocking to the city because crime is keeping the rents low. Uh, And this creates this perfect laboratory for artists to get together and exchange ideas and see each other's work and kind of feed off of each other's... uh, And uh, Alan Bridge moves there in 1977. And this moves us into what we're actually looking at in the apology line. So,
0: yeah. So Alan Bridge was born on Valentine's Day in 1945 in the Washington, D.C. area. And um, he went to the University of Chicago where he studied fine arts And then he went back to D.C. and uh, became an artist of the Washington Color School movement, which uh, consisted of artists who were interested in color field painting, which was mostly non-representational works using techniques such as color staining and poured paint techniques. So what they would do is they wouldn't use brushes. They would basically um, pour paint over a canvas and uh, manipulate the paint sort of that way. So Alan himself worked in large format paintings, and he was exhibited at the Corcoran Gallery, among others, in the 1970s. And I read that he created 79 paintings between 1970 and 1977. So however many that is a year, that's a lot. Um, He did a lot of
1: work. And a lot of good paintings, too. I took a peek at them uh, because, you know, a lot of people throw around the title artist. I'm an artist. I'm an art. My friend's right. an artist, right? I have a ton of friends who are artists. And some of them are legit artists, and that's how they earn their living. And then some friends just found a tomato can that they really liked and stuck it on a shelf, and they're calling it a piece of art, and now they're an artist. So he was legit, like for real.
0: He had been trained in painting, yes, and he was... Um he was he was uh yeah i don't know what you call legitimate but i guess he was legitimate so he um moved to new york as you said in 77 i think it was um and sometime around then he became interested in interactive machines and one of the pieces that was mentioned in a bunch of the articles i read about him was a piece called crime time which was an interactive machine um so what it is is that it was a plexiglass box and you stick your hand in, from, from what I've been able to glean, uh, you stick your hand in the thing and you uh, spin the Wheel of Fate, which was part of the art. And depending on the results of your spin of the Wheel of Fate, you either get a marble from the plexiglass box or you get caught and punished, which means you don't get a marble and you get your hand stuck for 30 seconds. So this machine came from his history of um, shoplifting. So apparently he'd been shoplifting his entire adult life up until he created Crime Time. And I think he stopped shoplifting after that. Um, But he made it as a form of apology and wanted to give other people the opportunity to apologize as well, which led to his best known piece.
1: The Apology Line. Exactly. Yes. Um, and I want to take just a step back here and kind of look at, sort of tie in this uh, this crime in New York with artists and the specific moment in time, and then Alan's piece of art called The Apology right. Line, which was an answering machine. People would phone in and leave um, some uh, a message about an apology they wanted to make. So, um what I'm really liking about what happened in the New York art scene around that time is you you have this art brute movement, right? This art from the streets. The before graffiti was just graffiti, it was vandalism. And then all of a sudden there's a discussion about, well, graffiti might technically be art. Maybe maybe this is artwork. It's a form of self-expression, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so I I was really loving this idea of uh, this movement in New York art brute as kind of being similar to Baroque art and the Baroque art movement. So within Baroque art, images are direct, obvious, and dramatic, and they try and draw the viewer in to participate in the scene. Uh, depictions feel physically and psychologically real. They're emotionally intense. They're extravagant settings with ornamentation. Slight, I mean, you know, slightly different from what's going on here. Um, But it's this idea of taking the viewer into the art or bringing art off of the canvas and into the real world. Uh, So that's kind of um, this idea of bringing art to the real world is why Baroque art frames are so extravagant. Uh, You've got these curls, sort of these Rococo swirls that are coming out from the Uh, what should be a flat two-dimensional piece of wood out into the real world, making art three-dimensional, basically. And so this idea of Alan using interactive machines um, just kind of like, oh my God, that's exactly what was happening here. He's experimenting with a new art form. I mean, this sort of gets into performance, the area of performance art, uh, which I'm not a giant fan of. But mm-hmm. so I I just wanted to call out that there was, there was something happening here. This is more... Because initially when I heard the story, I was like, oh, okay, this is one of those guys who wanted to be an artist and came up with an idea that just happened to work and all right, great, so he's an artist, right? But uh, no, I was entirely wrong. This was actually really legitimate art. Um, and so... In 1980, Alan, who was an accomplished painter, but a little bored with the visual arts, stuck some flyers up around his neighborhood in Tribeca, and the flyer basically was an invitation for criminals, Uh, and here I will read, this is the flyer, I won't read the entire flyer, attention amateurs... Professionals, criminals, blue-collar, white-collar, you have wronged people. It is to people that you must apologize, not to the state, not to God. Get your misdeeds off of your chest. Call Apology, 212-255-2748. I don't know if that line is still active or not, uh, so uh, probably not is my guess. Probably um, not. Yeah, probably. Of course, it, I mean, now that I'm like talking through that— of course it's not.
0: <laughs> but <laughs> Well, uh, his wife is still around, so she may have kept it up. I don't know.
1: Well, they're uh, trying to move it to an online form. Um, yeah. And so there, there is something that's, that's happening here uh, still with this apology line. So um, let's see. So he puts the flyer up and that telephone number that I just rang, um, call at your own risk or don't call, uh, rang to an answering machine.
0: Yeah. And I want to say that I think those flyers are, are works of art themselves. I think they're really cool looking. Um, I I like the font. I like the way he's, um, emphasized the word criminals. Um, he really was, he knew who his audience, he knew who wanted his audience to be. So, um, I think I'm not surprised that he got a lot of calls, you know, and then it has this little, uh, flippy things down at the bottom where you tear off the number to take home with you. So, uh, it was really cool. And, um, he used an answering machine, as you mentioned, I think, and that was a new technology of the time. So that's, it's amazing to think of an answering machine being a new technology. But I, I, I vaguely remember when answering machines were new. I remember when VCRs were new, but it seems like we've almost always had answering machines. Of course we haven't.
1: My grandmother told me about answering machines, but I don't know about them personally.
0: Um, <laughs> no, I totally. Rem- I remember when
1: when you had an answering machine, that meant you were rich.
0: <laughs> I remember when you had a VCR, I meant you were rich. That's for oh, sure. Hell yeah. Those they things were, were really expensive.
1: Crazy expensive. They were
0: thousands of dollars when they first came out, and that was a lot of money. A thousand dollars was a lot of money at the time. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, so he. Um, I think the outgoing message for Apology, which was the name of his answering machine service, um, said the purpose of Apology is to provide a way for criminals and wrongdoers to apologize for their misdeeds in the hope that this will help them turn over a new leaf. At the end of this program, you may record any statement you care to make. So you could call and confess to anything you wanted and you'd be recorded. Um, You could call and you could listen later, right, to other people's confessions, or you could respond to other people's apologies. and Mr. Apology would respond sometimes, or he would pick up the phone if someone seemed suicidal or interesting. And his wife, Marissa, said that people would just call sometimes to confess their feelings.
1: And I've got to say, talk about the perfect wife. Um, she was so supportive of this. And yeah, she was. The entire project was an intrusion in their lives. I mean, when it in the old days, in the times before time, when we had answering machines, you dialed the number, nobody answered, and a, a tape player would play, and you'd hear a beep, and then a cassette tape would play your outgoing message, and then it would stop, rewind, make a noise. And then you would get hear another beep, and then you'd hear the voice of the person on the phone talking from the answering machine. So it didn't go into a voicemail box you didn't hear like we have today. This an answering machine broadcasts the person's voice as it was speak as that person was speaking. And uh, you know, I'm sure if you've probably heard this sentence before. Juliet, I know you're screening your calls. Pick up the damn phone.
0: (laughs) Pick up the phone. I know you're there.
1: Exactly. (laughs) So Marissa lived with the phone ringing off the hook any hour, day and night, and random strangers' voices filling their home. I'm sorry. I would be moving out. We would be, be, honey, I'm glad you have your project. We're going to turn the volume down.
0: So um, I don't know if we mentioned this, but he expanded the project to include a series of zines that featured his favorite calls, illustrated with New York outsider art. Um, he did a lot of a lot of stuff around the answering machine, the project, but the only time he ever made money was um, when HBO made a movie based off a book he had written um, in 1986. The movie was called Apology, which I haven't looked for. Uh, but I believe Leslie Ann Warren played his, his role in that movie.
1: Yeah, they switched the... Uh the protagonist, because a woman would only be in danger. And so you're more right. drawn into the film. Yeah. Right, um. right, right.
0: Yeah. And he, uh, he added two additional lines. So there, all three calls were collect, all three calls, all three answering machines were collecting calls around the clock. Um, so he was almost, he was overwhelmed between the zines and the phone lines. Um, but in 1995, he was writing another book and planning to expand the apology line to the internet. Um, when unfortunately he died in a diving accident.
1: Yeah and so uh, not only is it unfortunate and, and not to be funny here because you know the man the man was killed, uh, but there's a bit of irony here in that uh, he was killed by a jet skier who, knew that they had hit something in the water because the jet skier circled back to see, did I hit a log? What was it? And saw that they had hit a scuba diver and skied off. And that event was witnessed by uh, two people on the beach. So there were two witnesses who saw what happened. uh, And the jet skier who went off um, was a hit and run, basically. And I can only imagine that this uh, jet skier has lived with some guilt And the weirdness is Would this jet skier Be phoning into the apology line To apologize right. for hit and run
0: Where was this accident?
1: Uh, I don't, I was, don't remember uh, In 95 Off of Long Island and oh, Okay
0: So they very well could have been flyers out there For the people. people there could have known About the apology line
1: yeah, maybe, um, and I don't think that the. I mean, I know that the skier never phoned into the apology line because yeah, yeah, Marissa, yeah. Marissa doesn't mention that. But but yeah. there is this, this moment, not moment. There there is this um, irony here where Alan is killed by somebody who needs to. I mean, probably needs Need to, to apologize. apologize. Not even probably, yeah. right? Needs to own yeah. up for what what they've done. Um, yeah. And it's un, you know it's all terribly unfortunate there. Um, You know And I'm not going to say in defense of the skier But uh, The skier was not Expecting, now I don't know if everybody Scuba dived over there uh, in that Area but uh, you were Not supposed to scuba dive So Alan was uh, illegally Scuba diving Um, not, Not to say that he Deserved what happened but you know Just to kind of say like this is the situation Alan was illegally scuba diving Came up uh, was accidentally hit by a skier who then skied off. Um, yeah, I sound like I'm saying he deserved it, and I feel bad. No, now.
0: no, sad story. I mean, it's unfortunate, an unfortunate ending. Um, and he was overwhelmed by the whole thing at the time of his death. So it was, I guess he wasn't in the best place he could have been in um, at the time. So he was, what, 50, just over 50, I guess, when he died. Um So, so what do you think about the whole apology line? Like what, what do you think it means to apologize to unrelated strangers? How how does that fulfill any requirement of, um, absolving you uh, or not absolving you, but any requirement to admit to what you've done and say that you are sorry for it?
1: Yeah. You know, I, the whole thing to me is kind of weird, um, not weird in a in a bad judgmental way. Just weird in a. There's so many different ways to look at it and approach it, and of course, uh, in a in sort of a broad spectrum view, that's the great thing about art. That is what art is supposed to do. We're supposed to be able to approach mm-hmm. the same piece from multiple different viewpoints and and interact with it and have different um, revelations. Um, is that the point of art? Well, I don't know if there is a point to art. I don't know. I don't know. uh, Yes, that is 100% factually the point of (laughs) art. And
0: I will arm wrestle anybody who says
1: otherwise. Um, (laughs) Yeah, um, I mean, that's a whole other thing. What is art, right? Uh, Yeah, Yeah. But. Uh, you know, as as I said, I didn't think that Alan was when I first heard about the apology line. I was like, "That's something one of my lame friends would come up with," and mm-hmm. so this sounds lame. And then when I um, there's a podcast out called The Apology Line, where Marissa, his wife, uh, narrates the story of Alan and his um, his time with the apology line and how it consumed his life. Um, It became basically his single focus, his single goal. And so what do I think about what does it mean to apologize into the empty void? Um, I would say, watch me marry two things together, and this is going to be so smart. Mm. In the way that art is a creative impulse that allows people to, I don't know, get their consciousness out into the world, apologizing to another person I'm not saying that's a, a form of art; um, it's not, but it does that same thing, where it alleviates a, a tension within. Right, you're mm-hmm. making contact mm-hmm. with the outside world, mm-hmm. and you're expressing your feelings, and so mm-hmm. we absolve ourselves um, through through. I'm waving my hands around, and that does not work on a podcast. Mm-hmm. So everybody, just imagine. An incredibly handsome guy waving his hands around dramatically, <laughs> making points with his fingers. Oh, that's dumb. Okay. So um, that's sort of what I think about it. I, I think that, sure, it does something for the person who's apologizing uh, because it's all internal anyway. I see. So, yeah, they get something. Uh, in the. I listened to two episodes, uh, and I'm going to say it's a very a very well done show, it's put out by Wondery so of course it's well done Uh, and Marissa is a a compelling narrator Um, and she really does make the experience come to life and they play some of the apologies that Alan had recorded and I'm gonna say there are some pretty dark uh, disturbing uh, voices out there in the world yeah. and the nice thing this is total plug. I was listening to it and there's one about a serial killer who, uh, is calling in to talk about how he's sorry that he's a serial killer and his voice is really creepy. And it just mm. having it inside your head with, you know, I, of course I listen to everything with, uh, my AirPods. Um, I was not happy. And Mm -hmm. I stood there for a few seconds like, oh, I had this uninvited guest in my head. And, you know, of course, there's also the question of, are these calls legit? Are these people Mm -hmm. who are calling just to fuck around with somebody? I found this number Mm -hmm. on the street and I'm going to call it and talk about how I killed a bunch of aliens. Some of the calls sound legit. And the serial killer one, I was having this debate about, like, okay, that sounded real legit and gross. Oh my god, what I? And then our show came on autoplay because it was next one queued up, and I was like, <laughs> I am so happy now. <laughs> oh thank God! Oh, all my worries have melted away. So listen to every episode of our show, everybody. Um, so, yeah, I I don't know. Um, I was real excited to see that episode one of uh, this. Wondery podcast was called who's sorry now, which is oh
0: yeah, one of which our segment our, names. Our segments. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Look at us having stuff. Um, <laughs> now there's, there isn't an apology in this episode. Uh, nobody has apologized for uh, a hit and run accident and Alan never apologized for what he was doing, at least not publicly. Um, and so this is. So maybe we
0: could talk about whether or not we accept the idea of calling a line to apologize. Ooh, as good one. Uh, as, he, as he says in his flyer, what does he say? You need to apologize to people. You've harmed people. You need to apologize to people, not to the state, not to God. Get your misdeeds off your chest. Do it now. Um, is that legitimate? Does that, um, like, for example, what if the person that you've harmed is dead or otherwise unreachable? Like, uh, you stole a sweater from a shop 40 years ago and the shop is gone now. How do you apologize for that? Can you, can you call 1-800-APOLOGY and, and is that legitimate?
1: Did you read my diary? Because I totally did that. <laughs> <laughs> there was this, here's my apology this week. Um, there's this department store, can I be arrested for this? In, um, no. uh, of course it's all comedy So is this true? I don't know yeah. There was this department store called the Broadway And I owed them like $40 for about Five years And I just yeah. never paid it Um, And they basically Made me pay it And this was back in the days when you had to like Drive into the store And oh, yeah. hand hey. over cash yeah. Or write a check or whatever So I went in and I paid it And on the way out I was so mad That they made me pay that And By the way it was in my 20s. Um, yeah. There was a sales rack really close to the front door as I uh-huh. was leaving. I just randomly <laughs> reached in and grabbed a shirt and walked out.
0: <laughs>
1: Did it fit? <laughs> so fucking dumb. Yeah, I wore it for years. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and the dumb thing is, I felt entitled to do that. Right. Oh, because funny. this department store was making me pay them the money I owed them. The yeah. outrage. <laughs>
0: People are funny.
1: Oh, uh, yeah. So, um, so not that's one of my sorry moments. Well, I'm actually probably, maybe we'll say that is my apology. Uh, but am I really sorry for that? <laughs> Broadway went out of business. Um, so, you oh, know, well. that, that's bad. Um, if I had just waited another 15 years, I never would have had to pay them the 40 bucks. Um, Yeah, it's weird that that I still remember how much that was, too. (laughs) I don't know. So, I mean, what do you think? Um, Because, I mean, there's a couple of things here. One, people do apologize to God all the time, right? And they feel fine about it. They get on with their lives, right? So for somebody to come along and say, your your crimes are against humans, you don't have to apologize to God— um, that's kind of saying, you know, this is the only way to really, I mean, I have to, I'm going to play devil's advocate here. Right, um, right, right. This is the only way to alleviate your guilt. The, the state can't judge you, you know, arguably the state's comprised of humans. So, I mean, you are being judged uh-huh. by humans, but I mean, whatever, we'll let that one go. Um, and God can't forgive you. Only humans can forgive you. And again, I come back to that, point that, you know, forgiveness is just within the self. So, um, sure.
0: Well, maybe because, I mean, doesn't it matter if the person that you harmed forgives you?
1: Yes. Okay. But, and I'm sure, I know we've all been there, uh, in in this kind of a situation where you've done something, you feel real bad about it and you've hurt somebody's feelings or did something even more than hurt somebody's feelings. And then uh, you apologize to that person and they forgive you, but you don't forgive yourself. Right. Right.
0: Then what do you do? Then you call the apology
1: line. Then you call the apology line. Um, Then you start a podcast.
0: (laughs) (laughs) with all of your tremendous guilt so yeah i don't know i think you need to i i think apologizing to god is obviously a waste of time um apologizing to the state i mean you only do that if you're caught right you don't go around saying um, oh hell I, yeah yeah i stole something and i'm sorry you don't don't open that jar of worms or can of worms because <laughs> the way the police and the government is lately you know never know where you're going to end up um so yeah, you gotta apologize to the person you hurt, and then you gotta somehow become okay with it in yourself. If you can, I suppose there are some crimes that maybe you can't become okay with in yourself. Like if you murdered somebody, I would imagine uh, that would be difficult to.
1: Uh, to well, uh, murder and or and or oh my god, murder and or eat them. No, um, uh, accidentally <laughs> kill somebody. Right?
0: Yeah. Yeah, that would be harder. I mean, that would be hard, but it would be easier to forgive yourself for accidentally killing someone than for killing them on purpose, I would think. Uh,
1: I, so in this show, uh, The Apology Line, uh, yeah. there's a guy that calls in who claims that he murdered his mother. And he calls yeah. back and uh, repeatedly, and he and Alan... And, and I'll say this is where I feel like Alan made a mistake, right? Yeah. Uh, but his art project. So not for me to criticize it, but yes, it is. Um, Mm -hmm. He got too involved with the callers. Mm -hmm. He would pick up the Mm -hmm. phone and, you know, hats off for, for talking with somebody who is depressed, right? That great. Yeah, absolutely do that. But maybe not do that maybe, you know, maybe have an outgoing message for like, uh, if you, if you need to talk to somebody, here's a therapist, right?
0: Yeah. Um, Please call nine one one or whatever. Yeah. So
1: Alan was not a a therapist. Um, Mm -hmm. and one of, one of his neighbors was a therapist and, uh, she would come over and listen to the calls and he would talk to her a lot. Right. Um, and she would offer him guidance, but I think her, her main point was Alan don't, play therapist and don't do this. And I'm not saying he was yeah. playing therapist. I'm saying yeah, yeah. he just got too drawn into his own projects. Yeah. And that created uh, emotional turmoil for him and it consumed his life. Uh, and, you know, that happens. I mean, Picasso, Picasso. No. Oh, my God. Van Gogh was consumed by his art. Right. But I mean, was he really consumed by his art or was he mentally ill? Uh Why not both? Because it can only be one or the other for the point that I am making. (laughs) (laughs) Otherwise, it defeats everything that I was trying to prove, and then I'm wrong. Oh, by the way, this is very late correction, um, but for faithful followers of the show, you uh, may have heard me say that John Updike wrote The Jungle, and uh, it was not John Updike. It was Mm -hmm. Upton Sinclair. Now and we
0: knew that this is it was just, came the out of world enough
1: that my husband gets to live in. ready? <laughs> I wasn't really wrong. I was right. It's just it's more right that it was Upton Sinclair. And what happened was I had up in my brain and went to John Updike, who was born in Reading, Pennsylvania. Hi, that's the town I was born in. Um, oh. So once again, everything comes back to me.
0: You were born in Reading. Yeah. I didn't know that.
1: Yeah. I didn't have anything to do with it. It just happened.
0: I, well, I was born really close to there, so that's weird. Oh, no way. Yeah. I was born in... Uh, well, I was born in Philadelphia.
1: Oh, I don't know how close Reading is to Philadelphia.
0: It's pretty close. Well, so, look at that. Who knew? Who knew? And we met in North Carolina, and now we live in Texas and California.
1: Yes, right.
0: The world uh, is crazy. All right. So it's time for Who's Sorry Now? Um... This is a, a episode? No, this is the segment. <laughs> this is the segment <laughs> and the episode. <laughs> sorry. We're sorry now. Each of us will uh, discuss an apology that we have received or would like to have given or something along those lines uh, during the past week. So Theo, what's your apology for this week?
1: I have one for the art world, and I'm really sorry. And I know better than this. Mm. So um, I would like to apologize to the... New York Metropolitan Museum of Art. Wow. Not because I stole something, because (laughs) that—no, no. no. Because uh, there was a Monet exhibit, and this was in the 80s in New York, and I uh, was there at the exhibit on a date, and I was really in love and very— New And the world felt fresh and exciting. And being in New York in this amazing museum was awesome. And the paintings were just nailed to the walls. Um, And there was a little velvet rope that was like not even a foot away from the painting. So you could get up real close. Mm-hmm. And those brush strokes and the texture were mm-hmm. so inviting that I touched the paint. To see if I could feel what Monet felt (sighs) when he painted the, I don't know what painting it was. and What uh, happened? Oh, security guard came right up to me. It was like, sir, you are not supposed to touch the art. And I was like, I'm so sorry. And I know that. And I'm so sorry. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: That's not so bad.
1: Well, I mean, it's not so bad today, but my finger <laughs> acid going to eat yeah, right through that painting. And it's going to burn Those a hole through the most important work anyway. of art of all Those time. are all
0: fakes. They're fakes.
1: That makes me feel a lot better. You're good at this. <laughs> You're right. Those bitches tried to trick me and make How me feel guilty. Real? I should have ripped the painting that. off the wall and walked out. <laughs>
0: <laughs> You're telling me that they're going to take these real masterpieces and hang them on a wall, and where anyone can walk them and just touch them—that's just crazy talk. Uh,
1: 1989, maybe.
0: <laughs> I mean, yeah, no, I don't know. I think they still do the same thing with the Monets. They don't. They don't really. Um, but they—they they keep you farther back than they used to, for sure.
1: Well, I taught them a valuable lesson, and I preserved you art history. So, Can't
0: trust. I'm Americans. a hero.
1: Hooray for me. Um yeah. yeah and you know uh that's not the only time I fucked up at a museum. The other time was I sat down in the middle of an exhibit of a Warhol exhibit and, mm-hmm. and it was not my fault because it wasn't roped off and it was a mm-hmm. chair with a coffee table <laughs> uh-huh. and I was tired <laughs> and there was a magazine and this was at MoMA there was a magazine uh-huh. on the coffee table and I picked it up and I was bored as fuck because it was a Warhol exhibit and I yeah. get pop art. It's fine. It's great. Right, right. But uh, yeah. And I had spent 15 minutes watching uh, his 24 hour movie, The Empire State Building. And oh, yeah. so that's how fucking bored I was. Uh, but my friends were all fascinated, right? And they were, mm-hmm. we were going to be there forever. So I sat down and I picked up this magazine and I was like, I can't believe MoMA can't afford a magazine past 1967. This is ridiculous. And, you know, mm-hmm. it was an exhibit.
0: <laughs> Did you get in trouble? Did you get thrown out?
1: I didn't get in trouble, but a security guard came up to me and said, "Sir, you're not allowed to sit there." <laughs> and I was like, "Okay, you should have some ropes." <laughs> Those are the That's only two funny. museum fuck-ups that I've ever done that I can think of. So,
0: I can't think of any art fuck-ups, but I do want to I want to argue with you about something. Okay. So, When you said that your friends, some of your friends are are legitimate artists and some of your friends are not legitimate artists, I'm going to stand up for your illegitimate artist friend who has a can of tuna, a tuna, can of tomato paste that they put on their shelf and they say that it's art. I'm going to say that that's probably art, depending on how they did it. But oh. <laughs> um,
1: <if they're... laughs> you mean but if it's if... too far left of center it's not art, <laughs> but if it's dead center it is. No, art. I mean
0: if it actually expresses something, it's art. I, so I love to me that. art is art is the desire to express something and the ability to do so, right? And and hopefully the ability to communicate whatever it is you're expressing to other people. That's that's what I think right now, this very minute um, art is. And so I'm thinking that probably all your friends who call themselves artists, maybe maybe many of them really are. So
1: many, there. a lot of my friends are real artists, right? But
0: maybe the ones that you wouldn't automatically call real artists. I are did also it again,
1: artists. and you're right. And I'm I, <laughs> I called them real artists, and but you know it's like so for me, a real artist has a plan and a purpose, and and. I don't know, an impulse and some of my friends who I love. I love some of my friends, right? Sure. <laughs> <Do> <laughs> I love you? some of my friends. <laughs> That's Ooh. big of you. Oh, hey, well, yes, it's true. Here it comes. I love all of my friends, but some <laughs> of my friends. I had lots of sleep last night. I feel fine. I don't know what problem yeah. with my brain. Um but yeah, I don't know. Some of my friends know what I think about their artwork. We'll we'll leave it at that. Like they know uh-huh. that I think it's it's BS, and you know, <laughs> um, because because yeah, I don't I don't know. But it's that thing of like you walk into a museum and there's modern art, and you know, it's like it's a paint can on the center of the floor. Okay, great. There's intention. Right. There's purpose. There's planning. It's art. I'm not going to say that it's not art. But, okay, I'm not going to pay you $1,500 for it, though.
0: Yeah, you don't have to. You can just enjoy it. Or not. As it or not. And, see,
1: and that's the bullshit thing about art. Because all of a sudden, it's... By the way, I love art. Like, I'm totally yeah. into yeah. art. But that is the bullshit thing about it, right? Because it's like, anything that elicits a response is art. Okay, well, does nature make art? Because scenic views are beautiful, and they elicit responses. I have gasped many times at A Beautiful Sunset.
0: But nature doesn't have an impulse to
1: create art. Oh, you're good at this. I'm Um, just saying. You're right. You're right. You're right. Um,
0: And probably there are a lot of people who've said that nature is art. So I don't know. I'm I'm not educated in any of this philosophy of art so i just make things up as i go
1: well you are educated in the philosophy of art because that is day one lesson one make it up as you go (laughs) along and then just fight with people
0: (laughs) pretend you know what you're talking about so i actually have an apology for you which i just remembered which is going to be very difficult for me so please be please be kind um i remember this is art related too i remember when i was young and I'm going to say that I was young, and that's why I did it. Um, or that's why I, I handled it the way I did, or whatever it is I'm trying to say. You sent me some poems that you wrote one time.
1: I don't remember that at all.
0: You don't remember that at all? No. You sent me some poems that you wrote, and I sent them back to you um, edited. That's Oh, that's yes. great. <laughs> <laughs> oh, which was horrible A, and B, I really liked the poems In the first place And C, who am I to correct art You know, who am I to correct poetry Is the, the the nerve of me To do I that
1: I don't know about any of that I have zero memory of that and Oh,
0: thank God
1: I uh, So I guess uh, So
0: I apologize sincerely well, For accepted, doing that
1: But I mean, bravo I am gonna say <laughs> that is a major move. I I, I like that. If I got oh, that, man. I would laugh so hard. Um, that's probably what I happened. Hope you once did I got laugh. it, and I laughed I hope so you hard. Did. Th-
0: but you never sent me any poetry ever again, and you never sent me anything you've written ever again. And good for you for not doing it. Because why would? Oh why would, no, why would I, do I sent you a it? book,
1: uh, and you uh, you came back with very nice things. Uh, uh, so and that would have that the book writing started after the poetry stuff. So for yeah, sure, yeah. I've sent you other yeah. stuff. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah. No, I just haven't written anything in a thousand years. Uh, oh, I see. Have you seen my thesis? <laughs> no. What was that? Oh, wow. Let me tell you all about it. How much time do we have all day? Great. We um, have plenty of time. So uh, yeah, no uh, absolved. I think that's super funny. Oh, thank you. Oh, thank God. Yeah, don't remember it for a moment. <laughs> And if it, I've been carrying this around
0: for years. This is this is. I have felt bad about this since like the minute after I did it. Like I I put it in the mail and I thought, oh shit, what did I just do? And then it was too late, and I didn't know what to do. So
1: no, well you know this is the, and 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 we're near show's end, so I don't want to introduce another fascinating topic. But (laughs) weirdly. Another friend of mine apologized for correcting my poetry. No. Uh, Another friend of mine apologized for guilt she'd been carrying around for years and years and years. Uh, Yeah. When I I once upon a time had a a long-term relationship and his best friend became friends with me. And we had our own friendship outside of his friendship with her. Right. So uh, and uh, always loved and respected and thought she was amazing and still do. Right. And so, uh, so my boyfriend and I broke up, my long term, and I really respected the way that she handled it. Uh, And uh, you know, she people weren't quite sure what to do. You know, like, oh my God, whose friend do I have to be? Can I mention? um, We'll call Mr. C. Can I mention Mr. C in front of Theo? Or can I mention Theo in front of Mr. C? Or I'm going to have dinner with Mr. C tonight. But and so breakups can get goofy, as as we all Mm -hmm. know. And so it's been 20 years, and uh, my friend and I were uh, pre-pandemic, their world before masks and sitting with people. she said, hey, I want to apologize to you for the way that I handled your breakup. I could have been a better friend and I should have been a better friend. Oh. And I was like, oh, my God, are you kidding? That never once occurred to me. Wow. So, and, and I could tell just from the way she, her body posture and everything that this was like a moment she was dreading. She was yeah. so afraid of not so much my response, but this guilt Right, that she'd been carrying, and so uh, odd that like it never occurred to me ever. I always thought she handled it excellently, um, and then here you are carrying around this guilt, and it's like this is a newsflash to me. You should correct every you should every email I ever send you. You should just send back a correction. I will always laugh. But- I
0: remember one time um, oh. wrote me a love letter, and I sent it back to him with corrections. Ha! And that was, <laughs> that was a complicated situation, but
1: <laughs> yeah, it was, Yeah, uh...
0: but, uh, that was, that was, I did that. I did that to be mean, frankly, and, um, not, I did not do it with, it and, it in your situation to be mean at all. <laughs> yeah. turned him gay. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I was not trying to be mean with your poetry. I was just, I was trying to be helpful. Whatever.
1: Not I, uh, honest to God, I don't remember it at all. And I okay, save things. I'm um, glad it didn't scar you for life. I probably, I may still have them. Uh, that would be funny because I do. I mean, I save cards and letters. I've got a box of them, but, uh, uh, uh. all right. Yeah. All right. So um, that's
0: it, I guess. Um, We don't have an apology to accept or or decline, absolve, or condemn. Everybody is absolved. Everybody is absolved of all of your your It's a new day in America.
1: It's a new day in
0: apologies. (laughs) So thank you, everybody. Uh, All all of you in all the far-flung areas of the world, we're happy to have you listening to us. Please keep listening. And uh, we'll talk to you next week.
1: Yes, and remember, you have nothing to be sorry for. That's right. Trying to think of an ad line for our podcast and it doesn't work. Bye, everybody.
0: (laughs) Bye.